Ace Podcast. What's happening? Where am I? Who's in charge here? I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Black Rum Podcast presents The Mummy. Hey guys, it's Ryan from TheMoviesDeadWorld.net. I'm joined with my co-host Martin. How's it going? And together we make up the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Um, we're back today with episode 71 of the show. It's getting up there. Getting up to our 100th episode, also our two-year anniversary. A lot of fun stuff hmm. ahead. I won't hit the mark at the same time. You want to hit it at the same time? I said we won't. No, yeah, we won't at the same time. No. We're going to be like at our two-year mark probably around on. 76 episodes or something like that. 75, 76 episodes. So, it's coming up pretty soon. July. 5th. July 5th. Yep. So, we got a special episode planned for that for RoboCop. The uh, 2014 14. remake slash reboot of the series. So that's coming up soon. Um, is it a reboot if they're not going to do another one? Yeah, it still is a reboot, I guess, I would say. But I guess we can talk about that on the show. <laughs> um, but today we have a special episode that I was really excited about to cover because the movie itself was getting panned considerably by all, pretty much all reviewers and Pretty much any sort of media reception was very bleak for this film. So, um, I was really interested to cover it. It's right up our alley, because we love covering things like that. And, uh, obviously I'm talking about the, uh, Tom Cruise-helmed thriller-slash-horror film, The Mummy. Oh, goody. Yes. And you weren't excited about it to begin with. No. You I didn't... don't like giving Tom Cruise my money. I mean, you kind of seem to have a unreasonable dislike of Tom Cruise. I mean, yeah, he's a piece of shit person, probably. But I don't understand the entirety of your hate for him. he's not a good actor. I mean, I don't think he's a super... I mean, I don't think he's a great actor in the sense like, yeah, we should pay him like $50 million a movie. Well, that's what you're saying. Things like that. That's what you're saying when you go to these movies. So you're just well, like, here you go, Tom. Well, I don't think that's the case for The Mummy. Ruin Oprah's couch again. I don't think that's the case for The Mummy. This was actually a pretty low-budget film, considering... Well, yeah, because that money all went to Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They couldn't get anyone else in here. Well, I think the uh, except idea... Russell, except Russell Crowe, and he worked for a ham sandwich, because if you can tell, he's <laughs> he... getting kind of portly these days. <laughs> yeah, he kind of is, actually. So... Um, I, I think that I don't really... I don't really understand your hatred of Tom Cruise in so much that, like... He's not so bad in other films. He's not over, totally over it. None of it, like, most of his films that people like Harold is like, oh, they're great. They're not that good. Mission Impossible is okay. And that's mainly because it's a Brian De Palma film. Well, yeah. And, and Top Mission... Gun is totally overrated. It's garbage. Yeah. I'm, I mean, some of those are definitely, you see Tom Cruise, again, kind of over the top. Little, you know... I'm gonna blame him. Shoddy. For, I'm gonna blame him from the for the early 2000s uh, downward spiral of Spielberg. Yeah, like you know, Minority Report and 
Tom Cruise was just starting to show up in his movies, and he's like, oh, come on. I mean, I, I don't think that he's terrible. I don't think he's a great actor either, so I'll agree with you that he's overrated. Because he shows so much range in this film. Well, I think The Mummy's a whole nother beast, and we'll talk about that a little bit when, when we get in, further into it. But I think The Mummy is a whole other beast in general. But, I mean, that's not the only reason why you weren't enthused with seeing The Mummy. Not just Tom Cruise. Right? Or was it just Tom Cruise? I just didn't really give a shit. Didn't care about it. I mean, and I now think... after seeing it, I really don't care. It's... I think the biggest thing that I wanted to do with The Mummy is not only because it looked like garbage, and we love seeing hot garbage and covering it on the podcast because it's it's an easy show. It writes itself pretty much, and we don't write any of our shows, but if we did, if we were to write the show, uh, it would write itself. We just riff on the go, and it works. We're just improvisational fanaticism. Wow, you use your words, Mr. Yes. English major. Um, <laughs> but I, the other reason that I really wanted to do The Mummy was because it's the start of, of Universal's Dark Universe. Which and I it didn't know right about. right up our alley. Well, I didn't know about it. You didn't know about the Dark Universe. Apparently, well, no, yeah. apparently nobody did because they, they, they didn't start advertising for it yeah. until like a week before the film came it out. It was a very hastily drawn together advertising <laughs> campaign for the Dark Universe. It's um, you know, it's been in talks for a little while, but the actual advertising for it um was really not well put together. It started really early. One of the major things about the Dark Universe that I think pissed a lot of people off was Universal's use of old classic monster films set to ridiculously over-the-top action movie superhero soundtrack music to make it a, a clusterfuck of, like, this does not go well together. They should have had, like, Rob Zombie's Dragula playing in the Yeah, background. yeah, something just completely, I mean... Like, at, get ready, kids. Your 1930s chillers are getting a facelift. I think that's the only way that it could have made that montage more ridiculous is to put just some outrageously stupid like Ramstein or something to it just like you know what Nine I mean inch nails, yeah it's just something Manson. really stupid to it because the superhero action movie soundtrack that goes along with that montage and really does nothing to show you like hey this is the dark universe it's more of like hey look at all these cool films that we're going to destroy you know, we're going to destroy those memories that you may have of checking them out on Oct- in October, like on TCM when they used to play those for Halloween. No, you remember that stuff? Well, get ready to throw that in the garbage. We're going to obliterate that and do some stupid fucking action movies for them. And I think that's that was the whole scenario, the premise. Like, everybody was really pissed off. Even though I do think that they their Dark Universe logo is kind of clever. By doing like a reversal of the Universal logo. Um, that's all that, that that montage really did. Was like show you like, hey, here's the Dark Universe logo. You don't know anything about it. Except that it has the original Universal monsters in it. But here's the logo. It's like a logo reveal. That's it. I mean, it could be cool. and like, You know, it could be a good idea in concept. Like, alright, we're going to reboot the... I totally think in concept it's a great idea, and I think a lot of horror fans would be down for that. But they're not doing it right. No, they're not doing it right at all. And I th- that's the biggest thing is that like no one is thinking like you know what would be really great to see with Frankenstein if if like Frankenstein was kicking people's asses or like if 
You know what I mean? Or if the monster was like some evil villain and Dr. Frankenstein was like, I need to vanquish him with my giant sword of smite and just... No one wants to see that. We have Underworld. You have you have Dr. Jekyll helming a, a squad of people who fight evil. Yeah, I don't know why Universal was thinking, like, the fans are clamoring for this kind of well, what made idea. It even, well, would have made it even better, because Nickelodeon's under the umbrella of Universal still, right? Like, with the whole Viacom and all that? I'm... I don't know. Well, because, really. you know, they yeah. used to shoot their shows. Yeah, at, yeah, no, they, they, I'm assuming so. So, if that's still the case, what they should have had, because Nickelodeon, Spongebob, they should have had, with this, like, have uh, Russell Crowe spell out that they're fighting evil. It's an organization called Every Villain is <laughs> Lemons. Yeah. Because that's what they're doing, essentially. Basically, exactly. I think that the Dark Universe concept could have been a lot more than it is, even if they had just stuck to the whole, like... Well, this is a like a regular horror movie, and they tend to be linked together somehow. Like all the horror icons have are in some way they exist in the same universe. That's a cool concept. I'm down with that. I would have liked it if it was more of a traditional horror movie in the in that sense. Um, but Universal did not go that route. They wanted to copy Marvel and DC Comics. They wanted. They realized they had a franchise on their hands that has seen the light of day. And yeah, and essentially mimics those the ideas of like what the the comics are doing now, superheroes and and multiverses and stuff like that. So they were like, "Hey, let's do it. Let's do a, basically a, a superhero film, but with classic horror monsters." And like I said, I don't think anybody was really thinking like that's what we're looking for. That's what we want. That's you know. And, and to be honest with you, starting out with the mummy is kind of a stupid idea anyway, because... Well, at the same time, you don't want to, like, blow your load on You like, don't want to blow your load, you're like, right. You don't want to start off with, like, Dracula or... No, no, not some of the bigger concepts, but maybe even just starting out with Dr. As much as I will say that, in in we'll get into that in the actual film review itself, as much as I will say that I do not want to see or need or have the... <sighs> Any sort of desire to watch Russell Crowe as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde anymore, you may have wanted to start out with a Dr. Jekyll film. Just to, like, because Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, not really a very popular franchise in itself anyway. I mean, it's been done quite a few times, but it's not something like Frankenstein or Dracula, where when you think of Universal Universal Monsters, you think those concepts. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, not so much. So maybe start out with that. Give it a little, you know, a little origin story before you even get into some of the other characters that would be a, a part of that universe. But I don't think The Mummy is the right film to start out with. And I don't think that it was really necessary given the action-oriented Mummy film from 1999 with Brendan Fraser. Classic. Which is, you know, loads better than this one to begin with. And the, ni- the 1999 Mummy is now a modern day classic. I guess, yeah. I, I compared to this, it's yeah, it's yeah. a fun Indiana Jones style romp. Yeah, that is absolutely delightful to watch. True, I agree. I I think that you know, th- like I was saying, the Mummy is not the film to start out with to give you, and we'll talk about. I don't think it does a very good job setting up the Dark Universe in itself, anyway. Which I think we'll we'll get into a little bit more in the film as we talk about some of the f- most of the flaws of the film, the the things that it really just doesn't get right. 
I think that's one of them. If you're talking, let's start the dark universe. Not the way to go. Well, it's going to go out with a whimper instead of a bang. I think the conception is that the dark universe isn't over yet. Um, Certainly was a bust on the first film, but I think that there's huge hopes for Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, Since it's pretty much already in production anyway, I think they'll go along with it. Um, And like we said, The Mummy didn't have a huge, like, overloaded budget. It wasn't like a super, like, $100 million concept anyway. So I think that, you know, they're probably going to recoup their losses for the foreign market and stuff like that. So it's not going to look like a loss. Um, yeah, but even still, Terminator Cell, uh, not Cell, Genesis. Ge- Genesis. I don't know why I keep mixing the two up. Uh, you know, Genesis totally tanked, but did fucking amazing in China. Right. Dead. Well, but they are talking a potential ter- new Terminator film. So it's not. I mean, that's the thing. And I think with this, there was a concept behind it. There was the the idea that the Dark Universe was coming. So I, it, since Bride of Frankenstein is already in production, it's not going to kill the Dark Universe just yet. But if Bride of Frankenstein does poorly, and at this point, you've got to imagine it kind of will, Um, I think that's it. I think that's it for the Dark Universe. Two and out. If that one fails, but maybe it's like DC and it'll take the, you know, the third or fourth film for everyone to be like, genius. Well, I think for this, at this point, (laughs) Universal probably, it, well, if it doesn't, first of all, it doesn't really feel like Universal has a lot of confidence in the dark universe to begin with. It's not pouring a huge amount of, it didn't pour a huge amount of money into the mummy for one thing. And it has a really strangely truncated schedule. Like you would think. If they're coming out with the Mummy in 2017, the Bride of Frankenstein would follow in 2018. Not very, not like you know, very early. Yeah, a close follow up to the Mummy. But in this case, it's it's a February 2019 release date, and that's that seems way too far out. By that time, everybody's gonna f- have forgotten about the Mummy. It's definitely not gonna get a revival or a resurgence on home video, and at that, you know the dark universe is going to peter out. You know, you're not going to hear about it for months on end. And then all of a sudden, Hey, Brian Frankenstein's out dark universe again. We're, you know, we're back to that. And people are going to be like, what? So I really don't think that the scheduling for this is, is any good either because they've really missed out on that opportunity to really, even if the mummy didn't do very well to follow up with a better film, like Bride of Frankenstein, if, if it's a better film and show like, okay, well maybe the dark universe has something in it that we, you know, we can get behind rather than, you know, maybe the mummy was just a one-off flop and, and everything else is better from here. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it shows a lot of confidence in the, you know, this whole legacy that they're doing with, with the, the dark universe. So, but we're going to talk about the mummy um, when we come back. And we're also going to talk about the beer that we're drinking today, which we had two different ones. So that'll be interesting. We're going to we're going to combine them into one episode, which we don't normally do. We normally try to cover one at a time, but it'll be interesting. So stick with us. We'll be back with our beer talk and we'll move right into The Mummy. Breaking news. Good afternoon, everyone. My name's DK, and I'm the host of Vaguely Accurate, here to deliver you this breaking news story. 
vaguely accurate to science show inoculating against misinformation. By now I'm sure you've all heard of the term fake news. We are here combating this movement by delivering you real news from real researchers. Many are Australian, others are not. However, they all have this in common. They're telling you their story about their research in their own words. Vaguely accurate is the science show with its ear on the ground. Join us and learn on the Ace Podcast Network or check us out on vaguelyaccurate.com. Welcome back. So we're talking about beer today, which we always are, pretty much. Even though we're named Black Rum Podcast, we have rarely had black rum on the podcast. I don't think we've ever had black rum on the podcast. Maybe once. No, we haven't. So, uh, what do we got today? What'd you bring? Um, Show and tell. Yeah. So, today I brought the long sought after, at least for us. Yeah. Uh, the Genesee Hellesbach. That's right. Part of their pilot batch program. Yep. Um, you had to go all the way down to Ilion to get that. Yeah, I had to drive uh, 45 miles to get it. Which... For whatever reason, it's just not around here. Not available. Even though we get other Jenny Brewhouse uh, Pilot Batch Series beers, we don't get all of, all of them. Like, we get some and not all. It's really strange. I don't know why some are like, yes, this area will totally love that one. And then the others are like, no, maybe not. Well, I think like their staple ones are kind of more seasonal, like the winter warmer and salted. Caramel chocolate porter. Yeah. Now the orange honey cream ale. Yeah, it's kind of like a their their the staples brew house version of a seasonal yeah. beer. Yeah, um, that could be. Whereas, like you know, like they've had an alt beer which hasn't been out around here. Yep. The smash, which is their single malt, single hop ale, wasn't around. Which here. I would really like to get my hands on. Yeah, that I beer. would too. Um, but yeah, just some of them just haven't made their round or uh, way around here, but. Um, we have been meaning to try the, try the Hell's Bog. Um, so I got it. I finally got it. And this isn't like the first Bach that they, they've done. Cause Jenny makes their own Jenny Bach. Yep. And then the pilot Which batch also. In late January. Y- to yeah. Like March. it's like a, almost like a spring or like a late winter yeah. beer. And then they also make for the, the brew house pilot batch series. They make a double Bach. And. As we've done, we've done on the podcast before, and with the double bock, you may remember, it was quite raisiny, and so we both didn't really care for that. I mean, it was it was okay. I can stomach raisiny style beers. I cannot, but, but yeah, it's it's it was a difficult drink just because of all that raisin flavor to it. I don't like my beer to taste like dried fruit i think that was a big issue with the winter warmer too yeah. was that it had a huge raisin flavor and we'd like jenny to try to cut that out please <laughs> um luckily with the Hellesbach, there's no raisin flavor in it as there should not be yeah because but, it's a summer style beer though the bottle has that dark red raisiny color to it like the double bock did Though the double bock was like that raisin color and like a silver, and this one's like a raisin color and gold for like you know Hellas. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm, and even still, just looking at the bottle, kind of like, oh, it just gave me like. Yeah, the beer itself is probably like a nice blonde color because I didn't actually pour it out myself, but I'm assuming it says on the that's it's about a blondish, yeah, you know, brown color, and that which makes sense with the Hellas style. Um, and this is basically combining the two styles, Hellas and Bach, together. Um, and it 
it sort of works. I mean, I think that it's a weird combination in itself because, especially when you're talking like an actual Bach, because Jenny's Bach, the regular style that they bring out every January, February, is not really a Bach. It's more of a, it's a very light style that's pretty much more akin to their cream ale than it is to like an actual Bach. Um, it definitely has a nice Bach I would say flavor I would say to it, more, but it's... I would say their Bach's more of like an amber lager. Yeah, it's like, it's a very, very light Bach beer. But I love it, because of that. Because it's very light, it's easy to drink, and, you know, it makes sense moving into spring, and you're kind of getting into the lighter, not so... But yet malty, like yeah. still have, you know, a nice malty body. Yeah. yeah. I think with this Bach, it's definitely on the heavier side, much breadier. It's pretty bready. As the as the um, label suggests, it does say on it that it yeah. has a bready malt flavor to it, and and I would agree. And you actually think that the breadiness of it is a little bit too much. I think for like a late spring, which I think I think it's supposed to be like late like a spring late spring beer. So yeah, because I think we're, when we get into like summer, it's more the orange honey is the yeah. is the beer itself. But, but even even still, I think it's still kind of too bready for my liking. Mm-hmm. And not like, and not like a sense of like a multi. Like it literally tastes like you, you know, like a grainy bread, mm-hmm. and then with a very light hot finish at the end. I would, I would care for it to be, you know. And I was, you know, I bitched several times on the podcast how I'm sick, you know, of IPAs and all that. But I would, in this kind of like a hoppier presence, to balance it out, to kind of give it, you know, a dual characteristic. But, but I think the fact that it's kind of overwhelming on the bready side, you know, and the malt characteristic is kind of what uh, makes me kind of go, it's okay. I mean, it's, uh, I'm not saying I don't like it. I, I literally just think it's all right. I wouldn't probably never go, like, go out, of my, go out of my way to get it again. Yeah. I mean, for my experience with, like, the Hellas style, uh, it's a lot lighter and um, less bready than what we're getting with this Hellas Bach. And I think the Bach itself overpowers the Hellas style in this beer anyway. Um, I don't really know how much this beer really tastes like a Hellas style at all. It gets a little bit into like the lighter blonde uh, hoppy style like towards the back end of the beer. But I think most of it is pretty much straight Bach and, you know, very heavy it's a 7.0 ABV. Only 27 IBUs. Yep, 27 IBUs. So it, for, and like we said, it's probably more of a spring beer than it is a summer beer. Um, and we're just getting to it late because it's not around us. So yeah. this is the first time we've had to, to get it. But I think, you know, now, today was uh, uh, mid-80s, early, you know, uh, almost 90 degree day. Um, it was... A little too heavy for the for the the weather. day itself, yeah. yeah, for the weather. I mean, that's not to say that I did not enjoy it because I do like the House Bach, um, but I don't think it's one of their better brew house beers. I think that, like I said, the Bach kind of overpowers the House, and at this point, I'm looking for something a little bit lighter than what it offers. So, I mean, I would I would check it out if it was around. You know, if they had it on tap or something, give it a go. But pick up a four pack. You know, and and the four packs can be kind of pricey. It's ten bucks. So, I don't know if I would recommend that. You know, give it a shot if it's on tap at some some place. But 
You know, don't get four for yourself and then find out you don't like it. Especially if you don't like really brighted beers. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the other beer that we have for today is um, kind of a classic. Not in an American sense, but in a Czech sense. Because uh, it's the Pilsner Urkel. Um, now, I have only experienced this a little bit. Um, World of Beer used to have it on tap. It was kind of a staple of their on tap. It never was really a rotating thing. It was kind of always there. Um, they always had it as like sort of a house beer almost. And um, you got it in a huge mug, which is one of the reasons why I ordered it to begin with. Um, but it's actually a very, very drinkable Pilsner. Um, and I like it quite a bit. I think it's, it's a little bit on the bitter side and I think it's very drinkable, pretty crisp for, um, a warm day and it goes down easy for sure. I had three of them on the boat when I was out this weekend and didn't feel a thing for one thing because they're super drinkable and I think pretty light on an ABV. 4.4. Yeah. 4.4%. And they just taste really good on a hot day. Um, now, is this your first time having a Pilsner yes. Arkell? Yeah. It's always been something I wanted. Uh, I've been meaning to try, but I, I haven't really convinced myself worth, you know. Going out of your way to get it. Dropping 18 bucks on it. And I technically, I don't know if I've ever seen it really in stores around here. No, have they, you seen it yeah, before? They, they have it at our, like, uh, Hannaford price shop. I mean, I've, I saw it in Hannaford now because I, I picked up the, no, they've it was always on had, sale. No, but, they've always had it. Yeah. It's I that mean, price point that's made you block that's it That's true. Out. That's true. Like I said, it's, it's like Heineken. It's like 18. Yeah, it's pretty expensive because it's imported. And you also don't get a full 12 because it's, it's not an American beer. Yeah, it's 11.2. Um, but yeah, it's my first time having it, and I like it um, quite a bit. I like it. Like, and this is something like with like kind of a lot of European beers I kind of like have grown to appreciate more over the years, like a Heineken, which I used to not, I think was like, it's all right, but I've kind of grown to like more as like a drinkable beer and same thing with like Beck's. Not as much to the extent. Bex has changed now, so it's kind of a little bit different than it was before. But. I know, but I mean, like, even, like, I'm mean, not even saying as much, but I mean, I, the fact that, like, compared to, like, an American Pilsner, you know, this has, like, it's not just, like, oh, it's a light malty beer. And right. Crisp and refreshing. You do get a, you can taste the hop. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like about it. That's, you know, that's great. You can actually taste all the ingredients that make beer in it. It's like the same thing with Heineken. Like one of the reasons why I've grown to like Heineken quite a bit, especially Heineken Light, is because just like how you like you can taste it. Like yeah, it's okay, it's a lager, but then like oh, there's just nice hop crispness to it that yeah. you, you will not get in an American light or you know American style lager for the most part. That's you know a macro brew. So I quite enjoy it. Um, I do think though you know Heineken's not lager. I mean, not a Pilsner, it's a lot. Right. I do think I would go with a Heineken, though, over this. Though I do enjoy this quite a bit. I, I think, for me, like, when it comes to, like, a, if I had to choose, like, a Euro beer to be my drink of choice, it'd be Heineken-like. But mm. this would be probably a close second. Yeah, I, I like Pilsner or Coke quite a bit. Um, and I definitely would encourage anybody who is kind of uh, either disappointed or bored with regular American Pilsners to check it out. Because it's, it's a very good... You'll be shocked. Beer. You'll be shocked at the difference between this and Miller Lite. Exactly. Yeah. Um. But yeah. No, I, I like it quite a bit. I might make it something to kind of, you know, if I'm feeling footloose and fancy free, like money's not an object today. Yeah. 
Give and, this a go. And the reason that I got it was because it was on. It was a good sale for it, um, which I've never really seen at the store before. So it was a, it was a bargain deal. Now you just got to get it. Just got to try Carlsberg. Yeah, yeah. I'm really actually interested because they have a four pack of the different pills, like different uh, Urquell beers that you could get. And I'm interested because this is the only one I've ever had. Um, so I want to get that. It's kind of on the it's they're tall boys, but it's still kind of on the expensive side for four beers. So um, I kind of have to be adventurous one time and be like, well, let's try that. You know, because not only is it you know expensive, but then you've only got four beers to go through, and it doesn't last long. So it's, it's an investment, I guess uh. I would say. Um, other than that, have you had anything else that you want to talk about? Yes, we've had one other. Well, we've had the, a few the, others, but well, the one that's notable to that bring des- up on the... That definitely deserves a shout-out and a, like, high-five and a <laughs> tip, a tip, as Stephen Colbert would say, tip of the hat. Yeah. Um, so we had a couple days ago, too, when we went to one of our local gastropubs, the only local gastropub, really, um, we had, they had on tap Southern Tears Lemon Drop. Yep. Very good. That is a great summer ale. That might be my favorite summer ale that's out there. Very good. A lot of lemon flavor in it. But not overpowering. Not overly, my favorite word, cloying. Yeah. Um, very, Just very easily drinkable. Um, they, it melds really well together. Just the lightness that, of the beer. It's light. It's not overly, like, weedy for, for a wheat ale. So it's not, you know... It's So it's not bready, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then the cit- the lemon citrus is strong, but it's not like overpowering, and it's not a shandy either. You know. So what I'm yeah, so you get you know it, they. T- I think they totally get the style perfectly. Like, yeah. Whereas like a Sam Am Summer Ale, it's too light on the citrus. You don't really get enough of it, and it's you know it's really just like oh, it's a wheat ale, and you know Brooklyn Summer Ale, which is better, is still kind of like a. The balance is still kind of off, but I mean, to me, the Southern Tier Lemon Drop is by far the best summer ale I've ever had, and it was the best one that we had at the the pub too. Yeah, um, very good. I mean, the other stuff that we had wouldn't really go out of my way to to mention on here right now. Maybe we'll cover it at a different time. But the Lemon Drop was by far the best thing that we had that night. Yeah, very good. So check that out. It should be hope, pretty I'm much hope, around everywhere, I would think. I'm so. hoping it's around here somewhere. Like yeah, I'm sure or... it's around here somewhere in maybe a six-pack or it may even have like a southern tier summer pack. Just imagine if they had like a 15-pack of cans of that. Yeah. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. You have to like, you have to like call them up. And be like, I know. Do you do this? Yeah. Do it. You should new, do it. And New Belgium also has a summer... 15 pack that I really yeah, want I to get. See, yeah, I did yeah. see that. Yeah. Not that, the, that. That's not the Day Blazer. Yeah, that may be the next one that I get. So, check it out. Yeah. For sure. All right, we're going to take a break and we'll come back and we'll, we're going to get right into and get under the bandages of the mummy. I'm going to go in and balm it. That's right. That's right. It's two middle-aged dudes and a microphone. Hey there, this is Aaron. And this is Craig. We are Two Middle-Aged Dudes and a Microphone, the podcast that brings you the best in weird news twice a week. We report the stories you just won't find on your local news, and we do our own research to make sure that all the stories we report are true. Two Middle-Aged Dudes and a Microphone. Always family-friendly, always fun. All right, so The Mummy. Where do we start with The Mummy? Where to begin? I think that's the hardest part. 
because there's so much, so much to talk about with what the mummy doesn't do right. <laughs> um, Would you like to start with what they do right? I guess we can. I guess we can. Some things that, that do go well. Um, I only have one note. All right, go for it. One note of positivity. Go, yeah. Russell Crowe. Mm. <laughs> what do you? What are you saying? He, is the positive about Russell Crowe that he actually he has a job? <laughs> is that the they, positive? That he's still getting work. Okay, all right. Despite you know falling on hard times. Yeah. Physically, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, poor Russell Crowe. He's gonna be listening to this and be put down the donut and like <laughs> I've let myself go. Um. No, I mean, look, I know you have qualms with him, his portrayal of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. More so Mr. Hyde than Dr. Jekyll. But I will say, I think he does a good job. He may, at least acting, and acting like he's vested in what he's doing. Well, he ought to be, because he's the only real link to the rest of the Dark Universe in The Mummy. No, Tom Cruise is. Well, yeah, I guess, but I... I mean, if that ending doesn't say he's coming back someday, then... It does, but I'm thinking that, like, over the course of, as we keep doing these, like, one-offs, you know, The Mummy and then Bride of Frankenstein, he's the tenuous connection to the Dark Universe until we get to, like, a Justice League-style or League of Extraordinary Gentlemen-style match meetup and stuff like that. So, I think, like, he ought to feel invested. No, so, yeah, I, I, I understand why he wouldn't. And probably should. But I think he he's actually... I think... He's not cringeworthy in this. Mm-hmm. He's actually engaging and pretty entertaining, I think. Well, like I said, I think he's better as Dr. Jekyll. I think well, the I Mr. Hyde character well, itself... Well, I didn't really give a shit about the whole Mr. Hyde thing. Sure. I, in fact, I don't even think they had to... Like, you didn't even have to show that yet. No, I think they could have gotten totally away with, held off with just that. showing him do an injection. To, like, to say, like, oh... Apparently he's already, you know... Contaminated by Right. Contaminated by evil. Exactly. So, no, I'm, and I'm not blaming him for that, because that's the fucking screenwriter's Yeah, he has no control. So, but I think, as Dr. Stephen Jekyll, he's quite fine. Though I don't like the role, the role they're essentially giving Dr. Jekyll as being fucking Nick Fury. Like, I'm here to assemble a crack squad, you know, that's gonna fight evil. I think that's totally fucking stupid. But again, looking at the positive right now, mm-hmm. I think with what he, the turd that he's given with, he, he does the best that he can. He makes it not. Like, I I he make he makes that not so like it's not pushing up against the hemorrhoid too hard. It's yeah. No. You're you're gonna bleed a little from this. No, I agree. But it's, it's not as bad as it could be. I mean, who would have thought that Gladiator Russell Crowe? Would master so and... very quickly become portly British guy who well, yeah, leads a team. You got to remember, it's like tw- Gladiator's like twenty five years ago. I know, I know, but at the same time, to, to make you feel old, we're talking like, and Tom Cruise though too, and Tom Cruise is fucking old, but he's still well, doing because they, they made sure to digitally fix him up. Yeah, and, but it, you can and... digitally fix up, but he's still in fairly good condition, probably better better shape than I am. So I gotta give him credit for that, and I it's think it's all the Zanu, Zenu, or whatever the fuck. Yeah, his uh, Scientology. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, like I said, though, I think with 
Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I think Russell Crowe does a pretty good job, especially with Dr. Jekyll. He's doing really... Uh, I think he's like doing shouldering most of the work here in terms of, hey, this is a dark universe that we're trying to to create within the mummy. Mm-hmm. And he's doing most of the work with that. Um, with that said, like, like you said, I don't think we really need the Mr. Hyde part of it. I think that it's very unnecessary. It's kind of almost... Like if we're talking DC DC Comics films, Doomsday-esque in that, oh, we're adding another sort of villain here within the film that has nothing to do with the other villain just because. Just just because we, we want to show that this is connected. Now, my main complaint... We're not getting complaints yet. Well, I want to like, just kind of bounce this all off. Right, all right, quick, all right. It's on the topic of Dr. Mm-hmm, Jekyll. Mm-hmm. My main complaint with this, though, is... If his whole idea is him to be this leader of this elite squad that's trying to take out supernatural evil in the world, why is he not Van Helsing? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Because Van know. Helsing, he doesn't have like an alter dark ego or anything. He's just a monster slayer. Uh, I'm assuming that... So why the hell is he not the guy le- you know, leading this? I'm assuming that what we're getting, or what we're supposed to get from Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in this scenario is that because he is ultimately always fighting against evil with himself, he's the guy who notices like, shit, we should do something about this. Yeah. Right. No, but I think that in their minds, in Alex Kurtzman's mind, who is one of the leads right. on writing or, or like coming up with the Dark Universe storyline... I think in their mind, they're seeing the juxtaposition between, well, this guy's generally good, but he's also got that... It's almost like a Two-Face thing. Yeah, but you could do that with... You can just change Van Helsing up to be like, you know, he's not just like, just like you know, because he's in, like, you know, the original movies, he's is one-dimensional. He's just a man who slays monsters and in yeah. the name of God. You can just make it so, like, give him, like, a darker past, like, and, like, so he has, like, maybe conflicting backstory that you, where, you know, characters that are supposed to be joining the squad could be like, well, maybe, you know, you're doing it for the wrong reasons and maybe you're not right. It's not hard to, like, fucking, like, you know, write well, a scenario to make it make sense. I mean, you don't need to tell me that. I, I don't think that it really works either, but... You need to call up Alex Kurtzman and be like, well, "What's the deal with that?" You know, was why, he why? was he like, you know what? And God damn it! In the Hammer horror films, Peter Cushing is so iconic as Van Helsing. We just can't bring ourselves to recast. Well, Van they Van haven't casted a Van Helsing yet. We don't really know who. They, that well, would be. you know, they maybe now they shouldn't because they'll never be <laughs> Peter Cushing. I mean, same thing with Dracula. Don't even bother Universal. Christopher Lee's dead now. Can't bring him back. Oh well. Well, I mean, I think that the idea for Van Helsing probably, I don't know if they have anybody in mind. I don't know if they're going to try to stick with the older Van Helsing film that came out in, the, in like, what is it, in the 90s or 2000? I can't remember at this time. 2000s, like um, 2003. And maybe they're going to try that. I really don't know. I don't know what their plans are. Wasn't that Hugh Jackman? It was Hugh Jackman. But I don't know, like, exactly what they're doing because... Some things seem to match up with older films in the style. Like, they're obviously doing Bride of Frankenstein first because they just did a lot of other... Fran- they did Victor Frankenstein. They did I, Frankenstein previously. There's They've already re... They've gone to that well before. Yeah, and but it, were those universal films? They were, yeah. Oh, but I, I, mean, I didn't see them. So but I mean, yeah, right, exactly. And I, Frankenstein is basically the precursor to The Mummy. It's a fucking action film that has 
horror guys in it. Van Helsing, same thing. Action film with horror people in yeah, it. Yeah, but that make that makes more sense. Van Helsing, though, you can see it the, can be a horror film with action in it. Yeah, it, it no, does. Make that, sense. that makes more sense because again, he's a monster. Was so it look, good? No, I, I, I only saw it once uh, on like yeah. an FX, and I don't, I don't remember it. But I mean, but no, but like Van Helsing, though, the idea itself you, it doesn't have to be a pure horror thing. That totally makes sense. That would that would jive in the realm of being in horror, action, comedy. You could take any route of those routes, and it would totally kind of mesh just with like the idea of it. True. Hmm? All right, because we're getting into negative territory again, so we're trying to stay positive first. Well, that's still well, like I said, Russell Crowe. That was po- the only one for you. Number number one on the list of positives, Russell Crowe's okay. He's yeah, it's, good. it's not even like he was great because he's not great in this. Again, it's not like you're you're not getting Russell Crowe from like Master and Commander. Right? Yeah, you're getting. I'm getting a paycheck. All right, I, I got a couple more positives. Number two, the horror scenes do sometimes work okay. <laughs> that I that doesn't sound very <laughs> promising, but at the same time, I do think that they did a fairly good job with whatever they whatever it is the CGI that they do with the zombie esque. Uh, that's that's like a flaw people. to me. Because the the mummies that like that help right. the mummy, they're, they're not even like it's, it's not it's like they're z- zombies essentially. Yeah. So it's like why don't you just make a fucking zombie film then? I don't really that doesn't bother me so much because it does know, to just, me because at some points it looks like oh look you saw twenty eight days later and you t- yeah no and I, you took notes like oh, I agree the, the, the zombies ran and jumped I, through like a I, truck window. Ooh. I agree. There's an issue that we'll bring up later in terms of mummies, but. At this point, I do think that that horror aspect works well in the beginning of the film. Um, not so much like the whole Nick, Tom Cruise's character, sees a dead guy all the time. We can talk about that later because that's part of the negatives. Um, but in this, like in some of the horror scenes that actually occur where there are random scenes of people being killed off by the zombies. I think it works pretty well. There's some tension to it. Alex Kurtzman, as the director, certainly knows something about creating horror films and horror TV shows. He He's one of the minds behind um, the TV show Sleepy Hollow, which it, in many cases the mummy resembles that quite a bit. Um, wherein I think that a television show mostly focused on action horror works a lot better than a movie, but... That's just my my uh, feelings on it. But I think that Alex Kirsten, he does have some ideas on how to make things scary. I just wish they would have done that a little bit more within The Mummy in going a more simplistic horror route than what they end up doing, which is just basically action piece after action piece. We'll talk about that a little bit later, too, because that's another negative. Um, so that's my second one, is that sometimes... The horror is a little bit effective. I I wouldn't. I, yeah, not, I know not, you not. don't. You don't feel the same way. You also went to the bathroom during one of the scenes, so you missed back, it. No, I was back in time. Yeah. Before it. Um, my third and I think final positive <laughs> is that there's eye candy because Sophia Butella, who plays Aminat, the the main mummy, the the mummy priestess lady as we'll call her, um, is surprisingly not clothed for some of the film. Within, And this is a PG-13 movie. They're kind of getting away with that. 
in terms of like shadowy butts and profile boobs. You know what I mean? So there's eye candy there. And also Annabelle Wallace as Jenny Halsey. I could watch her in another Dark Universe film. I'd be fine with that because I think she's pretty. But other than that, that's all the positives I got. We got three. Yeah, yeah well. I, you can't think of anything more, right? No, those... And, and I, I would, can't really I think of anything those, more. I would strike those two. I would. <laughs> they don't even do it for you. So no. you've got one positive. No. And 99 negatives. All right. And all Sophia, right. I say, Sophia Boutel is not, is not a positive, and neither is Annabelle Wallace. Wallace. All right. Take it away. All right. The negatives of the mummy. All right. This well, is going to be the next 45 to 60 minutes. So settle in, <laughs> I guess I would say. Let me just start by saying this. I can say I never walked out on a film. I have not either. And I probably wouldn't. I, I no, and I wouldn't either on the principle, especially nowadays with movies almost costing 10 bucks, which I know some people are probably, $10? Are you kidding me? Because if you live in the city, yeah, it's, it's like more expensive. It's hell like of a lot more. Yeah, yeah, hell of a lot more expensive. Yeah, but it is cheap around here. Yeah, even still, on principle, no matter how bad a film is, I can't bring myself to walk out. You gotta finish it because I fucking wasted the money on it. I'm a completionist. Yeah, so and even and, if it's, and even I'm if a it's yeah. Bad, I'm gonna watch yeah, it. Yeah, and I'm a completionist. Like God, I force myself to watch you know Code Geass. I'm gonna and Gundam Seed. I'll force myself to sit through this fucking piece of trash. But there is a list. I do have a list of movies that I've come close to. Like I'm gonna walk out of this. Mm-hmm. Epic movie is one of them. The original Fantastic Four from 20th Century Fox almost walked out on. Most of these are ones that I picked. So <laughs> yeah. the remake of RoboCop. Very close to walking out on yeah. the mummy. I I would if I wasn't such a step. I would walk out on this movie. It is that bad. This movie is a dull, boring, miserably paced, fucking film school edited hat job of a film. It is absolutely miserable to sit through this. I think the... Oh, su- by the way, Suicide Squad's another movie I almost would have walked out on, too. But no. One of the main problems I have with this film is editing. Because mm. of the pacing. This film is literally 90% just shit is happening and we literally... There's no time to like even breathe or kind of get bearing or a sense of what's going on. Something happens and before you know it... Something else fucking happened. It's literally a Call of Duty video game mm. in st- like uh, story mode. Well, I think you get that right off the bat from the first scenes because the first act is literally nothing more. Like again, it's literally just like exposition to kind of tell like what who are the are are you know our main character and his friend. Oh, they're part of the army and they're buddies, but they're also treasure thieves. You know. They sell antiquities on the black market. Because who does... Who fucking, you know, sells antiquities on the black market and says, we sell antiquities on the black market? How many people even know what the word antiquities mean? 
Why would the army be okay with it? They're, no, they're not. That's why they're... Well, yeah, but, I mean, technically they are. They're fucking enlisting their helicopter to take it, take a sarcophagus out of a well, war-stricken call... area. Well, because they called for the Hellfire Strike. Well, yeah, I know, but at the same time, they're pretty much still culpable for what happens. And, and the colonel yeah, makes yeah, sense. And then the, oh, because it doesn't make sense, because the colonel doesn't... They're, you know... The colonel doesn't, doesn't doesn't punish them. The colonel is Courtney B. Vance, Which, by oh, the way. That is a, that is a positive, but because he's got such a minor part in the role, Courtney B. Vance as you know generic colonel is a positive. Except the negative is that they waste him in like within ten minutes flat. He's gone, done. Gets pretty high billing, and he's done. <laughs> so that's that's you know I just wanted to throw that in there before we you know go on to this. But yeah, I mean that that opening sequence. Is is like almost um, which which Bond film did we see? Was it Spectre that starts out with like the buildings exploding where he's running on rooftops, or was it um, the one before that? Not not Casino Royale because that that's pretty good, but it was it was like either Spectre or um, the one before that. Or where the, there's a, if there's a helicopter and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that that's Spectre. Cause, Spectre because in um. In Skyfall, that's the whole Bond gets shot and falls off the train by, you know, Money Penny and, you know... Yeah, yeah, it's Spectre then. Yeah. That is, it's almost like that same level of, and we didn't like it in Spectre, and it's a hell of a lot worse in The Mummy, wherein just shit is exploding, um, it's almost like a video game aspect to it, like where not only does it make... I mean, it doesn't really seem like Iraq, for one thing, because we're set in Iraq for whatever reason, and then, and then, even though then, mummies are fucking Egyptian. Well, no, that's the whole premise, is because... It, they were so... It was so... This 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 bitch was such a bitch. They had to drag her ass all the way from Egypt to fucking Mesopotamia to bury her in the yeah. hope, oh, no one out here is going to find it. And after you get that intro of, like, Mesopotamia, the cradle of life, and like... By the way, it's modern day Iraq, and so you know, here's some ISIS guys, you know, just shooting random shit. Yeah. Fuck ISIS. That's you know the whole bit. That's the big you know bunch thing. And so, but it no, makes war looks stupid for one thing because well, it, it it's like a paintball game. Well, not only that. Well, not only that because again, it's like so they it's like they took bits of 1999's Mummy, right? Which is essentially it's not which is not a horror film. It's literally like. Let's make a modern day Indiana Jones, and I think it does. I think the Mummy actually works. The 1999 one, though. I mean, some pe- your mileage on it may vary because I think Brendan Fraser, he's a you know, I think he's a good actor, and I think he you know goofy he's, in all the right ways. Yeah, so it's he's intentional. He's a like you know, he's a likable roguish scamp. Rachel Weisz, she's nice eye eye candy, and she does a good job. And you know, whoever plays the brother Jonathan, I can't remember. You know, he's the fun, you know, bastardly scamp. Yeah. But And th- and so in this, Tom Cruise's character is supposed to be like Brendan Fraser. I lo- guess, the yeah. Lo- the lovable rogue scamp, you know, that's you know, does bad things, but you root for him because he's, gosh darn it, even though he's c- kind of an asshole and a bastard, he's got a heart of gold. Tom Cruise doesn't pull that off at all. His friend is just generic friend. Yeah, that's that's uh Jake Johnson. Yeah. Who, who's in New Girl and he looks like he's spo- like low rent John Leguizamo. And the thing with <laughs> that's that what too they, that's is what... that Jake Johnson is generally it's, pretty funny. Especially in that his zombie makeup. He looks like like low like they got like okay. We waste all wasted all our money getting 
Tom Cruise. We were able to buy off Russell Crowe with a ham sandwich and a couple million dollars. Who are we going to get for the front? Let's get John Leguizamo. We need not enough money in the budget. Okay. Uh, well, let's get somebody who looks like John Leguizamo. Especially in zombie makeup. And kind of has that same accent. And then, you know, ta-da! I, I tend I like Jake Johnson. I think he's a good comic relief in most things. I think he's pretty good at what he does, which is more of that, like, wry sense of humor. And he's not wry in this. Uh, no, I know. And I think that the writing is just pretty bad for his character. The writing in this film. It, yeah, it sucks all around. And we'll get more into that. that we're, getting, uh, we're, like, hitting. Yeah, that. we're hitting, like, all different things. Twelve but, different tangents. But, but I think, like, with that one, with Jake Johnson's character, it's straight out of... Someone watched an American Werewolf in London, and they're like, you know what would be really good in The Mummy? If we had, like, some dead character just following our main character, too. And what does he do? He just gives off random shit exposition all the time. And that makes goofy faces. Yeah, because that's, like, the... That's all that Jake Johnson's character really gets to do is, for in the first part, be, like, a parrot that's, like, in Aladdin, following Aladdin around, being like, this is dangerous! What the fuck? You know what I mean? And, uh, this film would be a billion times better if Gilbert Gottfried was in it. Yeah, and and uh, not only that, that's like that's all he gets to do, and then he he's also gets to follow um, Nick around, Tom Cruise's character around as a dead guy, and and in that sense, we don't know is he good, is he bad? Sometimes he seems good, sometimes he seems bad. Is he trying to help Nick? We don't know. He doesn't know. Um, and then like, I think it's pretty clear. No, he's not helping him because he's. He's cursed, and he wants to not be cursed anymore, so he's ba- he's telling Tom Cruise, hey, buddy, you gotta do this shit and become, you know... I don't think it is become, clear, though. You gotta become the god, that way I'll be free, you'll be free, she'll get what she wants. I don't you know. know if it is clear. I think that's a problem in itself, is that it's not clear what... I think it's not made clear by the fact... His intention is, or why he's there. I think it's... it's I, his, I mean, you're right. There's no point in him even being there. There's because, nothing there. Because the mummy has mental influence over Tom Cruise. So yeah. you don't need him to be like, hey, buddy, come, come, no, you want to come this way, you know. Even, you know, so, I, no, he's totally pussed. But getting back to the whole first scene, mm-hmm. it's like, 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 okay, it's like an Indiana Jones thing where, where you know, but instead of being like, you know, archaeologists, we're thieves and like, Oh, come on, let's do this. No, it's dangerous. And like, oh, no, really, let's do it. What could possibly go wrong? Then it cuts to bullets firing at them, and they're, like, running away. Like, oh, God! Oh, God! This this is scary. Things are going wrong. Whoopsie! Yeah. What a crazy situation. And then they're just, like, running away, randomly firing guns. It's like, you know, a fucking platoon of ISIS is shooting at them. They're just like, oh, no! We're going to call for a Hellfire missile. Don't call for air support. I'm going to call for it. Well, it's kind of the same. It, it's like Indiana Jones in that you have Indiana Jones who really knows what he's doing. And you have Indiana Jones' partner who doesn't really know what they're doing. Or they're kind of like the weak person. Like, like I don't want to say weak in a sense, but in general in Indiana Jones films, it's a woman. Right? It's a woman or a kid. Unless it's in, um, unless it's King of the Crystal Skull and it's his old friend that's the double triple right. agent that's you but know. we're not talking about Crystal Skull because that sucks. <laughs> but but in general, it's a woman or like a kid or some you know <laughs> someone weak person who he's got to save. In, in in that sense, the Mummy plays out like that. It plays out in almost like the Mummy in 1999. But at the same time, the whole situation, the whole tone, does not mimic 
like what it's supposed to be portraying in that like we're not supposed to be feeling like this is like a goofy scenario where like things are just well no that's what they're going for but well, you're going for but, it, but you're not like oh what you know those those guys yeah yeah well oh, you should have known better you know no because it actually the way that it's directed it kind of seems like we're supposed to be pretty nervous for them like we're nervous that in Indiana Jones films are you are you really ever nervous for Indiana Jones like he's never gonna make it out no you're like. Oh, this is a cool adventure, and you know that he's going to make it, but you want to see the inventiveness in how he does it. In this case, I pretty much just wanted both of them to take a bullet right there. <laughs> movie over. Yeah, movie over. That's it. They, did they unearth the mummy? Nope, they didn't. Oh, man, that sucks. <laughs> the end. Um, but, yeah, I don't think, like, even that beginning scenario with a film like this, you want to draw people in, like, right away. It doesn't do that. And, it's, and you know what? This is almost like they took it from the... 1999 Mummy too, where like you know Brendan Fraser and his weasel friend, you know, yeah. fr- you know, part of the French Foreign Legion, and like all of a sudden like a whole army attacks, and that's how you know Brendan Fraser gets caught. And yeah, and it's it's almost like that, but just just not that good, <laughs> not that good. And the bigger problem is it just doesn't get better. You know, we at least if like that opening scene is bad, you may be like, well, you know, maybe give it some time. You know, maybe it'll get better, but it doesn't. And the thing with it is, is there. This film throws out so many fucking stupid things at you in in a short amount of time. Hey, we're in Egypt. This shit's happening. Hey, oh, they transported her to fucking Iraq. Hey, exactly. Actually, now we're in England, and we've got Knights Templar well, for no, whatever that's, reason. No, that's, that's the, the first part. I know, of it. I was saying, that's the very open. And I said when I when I when I like whispered to you because unfortunately when we were in our theater we thought we were gonna be alone. It was like what was it Wednesday? No, it was a Sunday night. We're like oh yes, we're gonna be alone. There's no one there. And then one goddamn person comes in. Yeah, five minutes before the movie starts, one old guy. one man comes in, sits alone by himself. Kind of felt bad. We probably should have gone over there and talked to him and be like, "Do you like riffing on movies? Because we do too." <laughs> I don't. He didn't seem like the riffing type. He seemed pretty intent on watching it. You know. Without interruption. As soon so. as the credits hit, too, he like stood up, kind of nodded. Yeah, he did. And, yeah, he and did. Yeah, wa- it was and, interesting. And, and laughed. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of fun to watch people like that. But um, no, but I whispered to Martin. I said when it when the first scene arrived and it said England, I was like, because when you think of a mummy movie, you think the first the first setting you think is England. Oh yes, England got, unearthing a tomb in England. You got Assassin's Creed in my he, the mummy. <laughs> you got my mummy in these. Yes. Yeah. No, and the thing with this is, there are so many settings that you're thrown into that shit just stops making sense at that point. Because you kind of have to go with the flow or else you're just going to get lost. Because first we're in England. You're right. We're f- first we're in England. Then we're in Egypt. Then we're in Iraq. Then we're back to England. It, it's just so many locales for no reason whatsoever. Well, like got, uh, they're like, in a sense, trying to be like, Indiana Jones, or like a Bond film, like you know, globe, you know, globe trotting, like yeah. But at the same time, why they should they should have had like while they're on like you know the the C one thirty, they like fly, you know trying to fly to England, like have like the old timey like map and like you know the plane like flying with like the red line, like ding, yeah, okay. yeah. Well, but why? Sp- <laughs> that would have been perfect <laughs> and way out of place in this film. But why specifically did we need to be in Iraq? Or Mesopotamia. Because of ISIS! It doesn't make 
any lick of sense. It's not necessary. Because of, you need ISIS because you gotta they're part, be contemporary yeah, and topical. Because they're part of the military, so the military, where would they... Why right? can't the military be in Egypt? So I'm sure there is a military band in Egypt. They're, they got their fucking problems, too. Well, I was going to say, we do have a military Yeah, we so have a military base. Why couldn't it just all have been in Egypt? I, that was That's a huge thing with this, because we're globetrotting, and nothing is then making sense between them. We don't need all that unnecessary filler of like, well, Tom Cruise with... You don't even need him to be in the military. (laughs) No. You can can just have him be... An antiquities uh, dealer. Yeah. And like going all over the place. And because that's probably what he does. I mean, what does he need the... Well, because Indiana Jones, you know, he's not only an archaeologist, you know, he's an archaeologist and a teacher. Part time. In this, everything about this doesn't make sense. From where we are to Nick, Tom Cruise's character. I keep saying that because I don't, I feel like people won't know the names of the people in the film. So Tom Cruise's character, why Tom Cruise's character and Annabelle Wallace's character work together doesn't make any sense either. Because well, they, did, they just fucked. They fucked and they're like, well, we want an awkward situation. <laughs> Basically, that's well, no, because the- he stole the map from her. Right. And then so she tracks him down. And they decide... And because... And this is 2017, damn it. She's not afraid to say that she slept with Tom Cruise. It was a one-night stand. She's very un- unhappy about it. And she's she's misindependent. And it was only 15 seconds long. Yeah. He was... You know, giving, she was giving the whole stereotypical, uh, you know, you faked 15 seconds of emotion. Yeah. And then you got him going, what? Huh? What? What? What do you mean? What do you mean? I, th- I think it's... That, that, no? Huh? No? Yeah. I think it was... No? Yeah. I, I think that... That's how he went through his first divorce. When... <laughs> I don't really find that there's much point in having Tom Cruise and Annabelle Wallace together for most of the film. I think it's shoehorned in there so that he has a relationship and that there's, like, some human aspect to Nick Redemption. because... Well, because for... The, the really big issue with The Mummy, besides the fact that it sucks in general... <laughs> Is that neither, no character has a backstory, has development, has any sort of, like, emotional attachment to the viewer. So, when you first meet Nick, you don't really like him. He's kind of an asshole scamp. And, and like, in general, those types of characters are supposed to be like, well, he's kind of an asshole, but I like him. Because he's, you know, he's got wit. He's got charm. I don't, that's... He's and this not is, Moxie. This is partially writing. It's partially Tom Cruise not being right for the role. But it just doesn't work for this character. It, it You don't know anything about him. And you don't care about him. And the same for Annabelle Wallace's character, Jenny Halsey. You don't know anything besides what she does for work. And that she has one night stands occasionally with men that are 25 to 30 years older than her. And um, that's it. That's all you know about them. So for the film to try to like push this relationship on the viewer that's told over time through like when they're in danger, it doesn't, there's no stakes to it because it's like the traditional hero gets the girl for no reason other than the fact that she's like, Woo, you saved me. You know, it's like saving the princess sort of thing. It's like Mario did it better. And that has no fucking story. It's just Mario jumping on mushrooms. There's not, you know what I mean? It's, there's no stakes to it. At least in Mario, you're like, yeah, sometimes he gets bigger. He's got a brother. He's got a better backstory than Nick. 
I don't know. I just think that that's a huge issue in the Mummy is that well, we're play, expected play the Paper Mario games. They have story. They have story. Yes, that's right. It's an RPG. But in in the Mummy, we're expected to like be very moved at the end of the film by Tom Cruise's <laughs> characters. Redemption. Redemption, his commitment to doing things even though it's it's not selfish. It's unselfless, really. And it's selfless. Self, I mean, not unselfless. It's selfless. And how much he's, you know, dedicated to saving Annabelle Wallace's character. And uh, it's stupid. It doesn't make much sense. And I don't think anybody's really invested in it. And I part of that is the writing, for sure. But a large part of it, too, is just that Tom Cruise is not good in this film at all. Well, out again, outside of Russell Crowe and Courtney B. Vance, no one really is. Nobody is. But Tom Cruise really shines because it almost feels like no one dr- e- either no dr- one gave him a script and he's just going along with it. Which may, makes sense to me because the film barely makes sense to the viewer. So and he's, like, and he's Tom gonna, Cruise. Who's going who's gonna to direct, you know... Unless, again, unless, like, you're Scorsese, yeah. which Scorsese has enough sense not to fucking cast Tom Cruise. Or, well, or, like, Wes Anderson, again, has enough sense not to, like, cast Tom Cruise. Or Spielberg. Unless it's, like, somebody like who's, like, a top-flight director. Who's, like, it's top, like, you know, even, like, someone like J.J. Abrams. Like, if he casted Tom Cruise, I can see Tom Cruise, like, who are you? Yeah. What did you no, do? No, yeah, I agree. You did Star Trek? Cool. Great. I, you did Star New Star Wars? Fantastic. Who are you? I'm Tom Cruise. I, I agree. I just can do what I, I want. I think that that's probably part of it, is that no one, like Alex Kurtzman as director, probably wasn't like, Tom, I want you to do it this way. Tom's like, I'm going to do it this way. <laughs> and, like, you know, like, like, like Bruce Willis with Kevin Smith. Like, To be fair, he's kind of got a point. Because he was... The basic reason he was cast is for a name. Because the mummy needed a name. Besides Tom Cruise and Russell Crowe, who you got? You don't really got anybody. And so he's kind of the face of the dark universe in its opening. And so... It's a sad face. I mean, but you've got to have, like, a big name. And and I think that's definitely why Tom Cruise was cast. Even though he doesn't make sense for the role, he doesn't play these characters. He's not very good at it. And I don't think it's just because of him but i just think it doesn't really mesh with who he is or what he does you know that he doesn't have that sense that humorous sense that that timing he doesn't have a good delivery for jokes and that may be a, a acting flaw but it's also just something that he hasn't been typecast in if this film was made 15 years earlier or tw- even better 20 years earlier mm-hmm. jeff goldblum yeah, I mean, this is basically an Independence Day style Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, character. yeah, of like, huh, what, what, what? Yeah, yeah, you know, like just what, 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 what. No, Jeff Goldblum is likable when he's going, like, you know, just stammering about him. Huh, what, what? No, I think that <laughs> this Tom Cruise, is, you know, it almost comes across like, um, like I just saw, like I haven't seen it, you know, the new Tim Heidecker, you know, Decker, mm-hmm. like his, like this is what, like. It seems like this is like the kind of thing that he's like making Always fun making of. Making fun of, yeah, and like action heroes, like yeah. oh, d- d- uh, wife taken by d- tourists, uh, terrorists, you know. Yeah, that's that's like, that's you know, t- like this would have been great if it was Tim Heidecker. Yeah, this, you know, like going like, oh, what? I don't know what's going on. I don't, you know. 
Yeah, I just, at least with that, you know he's doing it tongue-in-cheek and, you know... And I think even with Jeff Goldblum there, you would realize that it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. You know, it's kind it's, of have a humor yeah. side. Whereas Tom Cruise, even though he's kind of... You're supposed to be getting this humorous aspect from him, he's always kind of delivering it in this stoic... And serious and manner. serious, like, Mission Impossible-style yeah. manner. And it's... It just doesn't come across right. Because The Mummy has potential in its storyline... To be kind of a, another goofy sort of action horror take on this this uh, storyline. And again, if that's the case, like they were kind of going for, you should have just got fucking Brendan Fraser again. Like, yo, Brendan, we'll throw you a bone, lose 30 pounds, because he's hit hard times too on the, on the scale. And have, bring him back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, it doesn't have to have continuity with the last mummy, but he would, again... He was perfect as Rick O'Connell. Yeah. And, you know, totally fit that role of, you know, it's again, it's like before there's like, you know, before it was Chris Pine or and Chris Pratt and, you know. Yeah. Brendan Fraser was that lovable, goofy, not as smarmy because back in the late 90s, you couldn't be as smarmy and get away with it. You know, it'd come off as way too, you know, pompous. Yeah. Whereas now it's, you know, kind of like, ooh, that's, you know, that's the thing. But he would fit, you know, Brendan Fraser, again, they're like, it's like they're trying to have their cake and eat it, too. Like, they want to, like, have that Brendan Fraser-style role, the character. They want to have that Chris Pine, Chris Pratt type of, you know, you know, I'm the modern-day Kirk. I'm, you know, modern-day Captain, you know. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. They That's what they're looking for, and Tom Cruise isn't the one to deliver it. No. It's not. It just wasn't a good casting decision. Except, and it was only done basically for that billing. And granted, I think those guys are bit, I mean, Brendan Fraser maybe not so much, but I mean, even still, I don't think you have to, like, if you're kicking off a new series, you could have had like a new actor to kind of lead the way and Russell Crowe as like a veteran who is, who is going to be a staple in these films. That's where you want the veteran. Sure. You could have total, because again, what has Annabelle Weiss done? Wallace. Wallace. <laughs> And, you know, Sophia Botel, like, you know, it's yeah, not like... Pretty, yeah, I mean, I know they're they're really um, promoting Sophia Botella in this Dark Universe. You know, she's been shown in the pictures as a re- recurring character within the Dark Universe, things like that. I'm just saying, like, they're not, like, you know, yeah. well-known. Right, exactly. So it would have been fine having your lead not be a well-known. And just this have, could have been something to catapult them into. And Russell Crowe. And then, again, the, if, and if you're building a universe, you can... You totally want it to be someone not well-known. Lock them up for several movies on the cheap. Yeah, exactly. And if it does well, then, you know, you're... You've got a new big star. You're, you know, you're in the money. And you can worry about that contract movies down the line. Yeah. You know, now with Tom Cruise, by the end, it's like, oh, you know, we're not going to see him for quite a while, but God damn it, he probably is going to be back around with all the money they paid him and probably, the you know, certain amount of movies they're saying he's got to be in or whatever. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you wasted money on, you know, someone who's just riding off and, you know, and now, like, the he's now fucking Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse now. Yeah. I mean, I guess we should talk about the story itself, because I think that's another huge area where it just doesn't... It First of all, it doesn't really have any relationship to the original Mummy. Like, if we're talking universal horror classics, no relationship there. No relationship to 
the, 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 say the remake, the remake in 1999. Well, I'll say the remake in 99 had a lot better connection because it's still set in like you know the 20s. Yeah, it's still like an archaeological dig and yeah. all of that. In, in this film, there's almost barely no mummy. I mean, in, in when we're talking specifics here, in Aminat, she's not mummified. She was buried alive. It's not a mummy. It's it is like you said, a zombie. At that point, because she's technically not a mummy. She has all the staples of, like, what we consider an Egyptian mummy, but there is no, you know, actual mummification process, no organ removal, shit like and that. embalming. They just, yeah. like, they wrapped her up and threw her into a sarcophagus and, you know, put mercury in there and then fucking shipped her off to Iraq to be, you know, buried far, far away. And then, like, we're talking about Two, she doesn't have like if we're if you think of like a traditional mummy, she doesn't even have any of the regular qualities of a mummy, and none of her supernatural abilities scream that's a mummy. It's it actually more seems like a vampire because vampires are tr- traditionally have the mind power control. over mind control, yeah. power over animals. In this case, we're talking like spiders and yeah. shit like that, um, and sucking the soul and life out of people it's mostly just a vampire in any other form well as i say they that's part of the remake in 99 how you know that does happen but that but it's certain people that he does that to who open you know who released him yes they're cursed and that's how he regains his you know is from those people who you know didn't heed the warning here none of like um the mummy's actual abilities they don't it's just kind of all thrown in there. It's like, she can do this, and she can do that. She has power over Tom Cruise's character, but she doesn't use it all the time. And sometimes he has the ability to make choices on his own. None of it is really solidified. It doesn't have... And the best choice in the film he made is, Oh, well, my friend and this doctor are arguing about this fucking mummy that's buried out all the way in Iraq instead of Egypt in a pool of mercury. I'm going to shoot this lever to release it. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Bored. He's like, it's like, bored. He should, literally should have just had him, like, when they were arguing. Just had boring. Tom Cruise. Just be yeah. like, boring. You know, shoot. <laughs> yeah. shoot. It's basically it, because it's the same thing. He just shoots it, kind of like side, side Yeah, he shot. wasn't saying, like, paying Not even, like, yeah. an aiming. And then kind of, like, shrugs. Like, hmm? Like, what are you doing? He's like, huh? Oh, you want to see what's in there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, th- you know, th- we sometimes there's uh, the intentional usage of protagonists as agents of destruction, as they call it, as in like everything that they do actually turns to shit. In this case, it's all like- of our protagonists are agents of destruction for all the stupidest reasons. If you're talking, if we're talking, Russell Crowe's character, Doctor Jekyll, wants to stop evil, then why unearth it at all? He unearths the Knights Templar under England. No, he doesn't. They the sub- do though. No, the subway tunnel. Yeah, it does. Yeah. But it and does. then and then Russell Crowe shows up like a badass when like yeah, a former like, "Oi, what are you doing here? What you doing here?" And he's like, "I have this letter. I'm not gonna look at you. I'm too important. This is my seat now." Yeah. And then he has like his inner monologue, and it's. I mean, I think the whole point is because they're trying to get the knife, this, you know, sacred knife that apparently, you know, can slay evil. I think it's not just the mummy. It's like evil in general it can slay. So that's an artifact because he himself is a collector of these, you know, type of antiquities, I think, so he can, you know, track down 
said evil. But you know, I mean, at the same time, no, you're no, you're right. Like, leave it alone. It's, I mean, that's the same reason why Annabelle Wallace's character Halsey was sent out to Iraq to to unearth the mummy. Why, why even do it? Why do anything with it? Just leave it alone. No one's found it. In yeah, it's, it's what, bare. It's, it's three thousand years or whatever. Leave it alone. Just should have like the Medjai from like you know the ninety nine mummy show up and be like you know like must make fishy fishy go pee 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 pee. Like don't open doom. Like you were saying, the only reason that we're actually over in Iraq, according to the mummy, is just to bomb shit out of the desert and find these ancient burial sites and evil. Yeah, which I'm pretty sure the military, you know, on their busy schedule after like you know d- you know doing such a thing, right? Look, we don't got time to fucking find this tomb, you know, and shit. It's like, oh, you found a tomb? That's cool. We gotta go. We got other shit to do. That's the thing within that scene, like, that it doesn't make sense with their working with the military, too, is that there's the call-in. They found the tomb. Oh, no, we gotta go, guys. Oh, wait a second. We need to airlift the sarcophagus out. Oh, okay, let's spend 30 minutes bringing in a helicopter, rig it up on the lift, Pull it out of the well. Pull the guys out of the well because they rappelled down it. Beat, beat, beat a sandstorm. Yeah, beat a sandstorm <laughs> and no baddies. You know what I mean? Like, they had all that time. It just doesn't make sense. The timeline doesn't But again, but again man, that, that, that goes back to the whole, like, editing thing. It's just literally, like, action, action. Like, you know, bam, like, bam, 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 bam. And then when you get onto the plane, it's like the stupidest thing ever. Because we haven't, you know, really talked about him a little bit. Like, Jake Johnson's character, like, I'm not even going to give him the dignity of calling him Chris. I'm just going to say, you know, fucking Tom Cruise's buddy. Because he gets bit in the ca- by a camel spider in the well. Not poisonous. Yet somehow he gets sick and dies. So, pro- 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 magic curse. Ma- yeah, magic curse, apparently. It's not explained. But then, like, he wakes up zombified and he's just, like, carrying a knife around. And he stabs the colonel and kills him. And everyone's like, wow, what are you doing? And then he tries, like, you know, in the random fodder, you know, they all pull out their guns to try to shoot him. And Tom Cruise is like, I'm going to go Jack Reacher and take your guns from you. Don't do, you know, don't do that. Don't do that. And then, like, you know, he comes up to, like, Tom Cruise and starts, like, just, like, Dawn of the Dead. And I'm not even talking about the Zack Snyder, you know, fast zombie bullshit. You know, moving. He's like George Romero, Dawn of the Dead, like, uh, uh, swinging at Tom Cruise. And they're just like, whoa, what are you doing, buddy? Which doesn't make sense anyway, because why would he be intentionally trying to kill Tom Cruise before Yeah. anything? Because if his goal is to be cursed and lead him to the mummy. Well, he is already cursed, so he's not going to die anyway. True, but I mean, I don't know why they would be trying to stab him. It doesn't make sense. No, I know. It's, it's stupid. But I mean, like that, like, like, like you said, like the whole, like, all of that. It's just like literally, like, just like one action thing to the next action thing to the next action thing. Slight breather for like a little expression, then like action. It's just like, and it's just well, and it's not even like it's good action. No, and, like engaging and enjoy. It's literally just like again, shit is just happening. Like it's to, like we got it. Like 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 we got point A to point B. We got to get there. Like you know. It's not good action, but it's action that happens all the time. So when there is an expositional break, it seems even more obnoxious. Like, because it's all delivered. Because Tom Cruise's character, like the audience, is sitting there just saying, Huh? What? What? Why? What? Who? How? Yeah. And Tom Cruise is the avatar for the audience. He's going like, huh? What? Yeah. You know what they should have done? They should have taken, like, the little John and, like, Nelly's song, like, 
What? What? Yeah. It, okay. He is. He is an avatar for the audience. And, th- I mean, I would say a majority of his lines are just asking questions. Who? What? What happened? How? What? You'll hear it in our in our opening. And it's so funny because at one point he says, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's exactly right. Tom Cruise, that was an <laughs> improv I know. It went, no, the, the camera was accidentally rolling on that. And yeah. Kurtzman's trying to give him direction. Like, Tom, just, just like, you know, like, when you're tr- like trying to tell, like, a pet, like a dog or something, like, sit. And it's just, like, not sitting. And you can, like, tell, like, you know, like, come on, buddy, sit, or, you know, do this, and it's not doing You can just tell by the look in the face of the dog. It's like, I don't know what you want from me. Yeah. It's like the same thing with this. It's like, you know, like, a curse, like, Tom, just do this. He's like, what? He's like, come on, Tom, buddy, just do this. He's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what you want from me. Yeah. What do you want from me? Like, it's exactly that. And it's, it's so funny. And it happens in a <laughs> scene that's really not supposed to be funny at all. And... It just totally explains the whole the whole thing of like hashtag clueless cruise because he really seems like the, he has no idea what is happening. And to be honest, and to be fair, I would I think that's probably true of most people watching the film because the finale is so overdrawn and poorly explained. And Suicide Squad, like, yeah. Looking, it's literally like it's the third act, the Suicide Squad. Except, yeah, it's a CGI fest for part of it. No, but it's it's an underground tomb. Yeah, the mummy in this darkness is a the you know the mummy's basically the enchantress. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) it's it's yeah, it is. It's it's a lot like that. It seems like they were trying to mimic that sort of third act. Why would you want? Yeah, why? No one sets out and is no like, one. You know what set, Batman v Superman no and Suicide Squad did in Man of Steel? Yeah, Man of Steel. Let's do that. No, and that's one of the like the things I think most people have been like down about with Wonder Woman. Like who, even the people who really like it, yeah, are like, you know, yeah, the, the fight, third act, the fight know. with Ares is just kind of yeah. Because people are sick. Like, why can't we have the final acts taking place in, like, a field of dandelions? Because you're in London. And it's rainy and cold and damp and bleh. Just Actually, like, I don't even know if they're in fucking London still at that point. Actually, I don't even remember where they are. For all I know, they could be in fucking Buenos Aires. I don't know where they are either. I think it is in London, but I'm, I think it's in, like, that area where the plane crashed or some shit. But I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Because, like, like we said... The, it's all over the place. We're all over the world. Tom Cruise hopping out of planes. He left and right. Fucking getting... A- no, he didn't hop out. No, he, he, he fell he, out. He sat there and died. <laughs> Though I will say that it, one of the great... This is one of the great lines. Is he gives Annabelle Wallace a parachute to like get out of the plane. And he pulls the cord and she gets thrown out. And she's sick. And he just sits there and like, the screen goes white. Because he's like, oh, he falls to his death. You know, he, there's no parachute for him. And later on, she's thanking him, like, thank you for giving me the last parachute. That was very kind of you. I did not expect you to do something noble like that. And he just goes, I thought there was another. <laughs> that, I, that was actually a really good line. It is funny. Because that's something, like, again, like, you're supposed to be like, this guy's an unlikable bastard. Like, you know. And that's, that's something. I think that was written as, a like, a him being noble during the situation, too. Like, just saying that. In terms of like, this is how he's supposed to act. Like he's supposed he's, to act very selfish, but he but, and, but, and he actually really meant it to be like, yeah, saving her. Yeah, I know because he can't admit like, oh, you. Yeah, he's too manly and muscular to admit that. Like I actually do like you. I, my feelings were really hurt when you said his dick's like, too big to just say. No, I I <laughs> was trying to save you, but 
I, but even so, even if you, you can, even if you view it like that, it's still pretty funny. Yeah, I agree. That was a good, that was a good one. It's a good little joke there. Um, all right. So, I mean, do you think this is a good start to the dark universe? All things considered, even if, even if the mummy itself, like the plot line of the mummy isn't a good film, is there a dark universe, uh, building and growing in this film? No. I, I think this is this film gets out of the gate and it's already dead. It's like this film is so bad. It, like from if I was like a producer, you'd be like, an exec at Universal, like I, what? taking the binders of scripts for like Bride of Frankenstein and <laughs> and stuff, and just be like, ah, well, throw them on the pit, start it on fire, sell it off to Miramax or New Line for like you know pennies on the dollar. Yeah, seriously. Um, no. I, look, I, 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 there's just so much wrong. Again, Tom Cruise is one of the biggest problems in this, because he's not right for the role. Right. Because, you know, by the end, he becomes the god set, you know, the Egyptian god, who's basically the devil. God of death, whatever, but, however yeah, you yeah, want to and, see and, it. and he's alive. And, you know, Russell Crowe is posing the question at the end, like, we'll, we'll never, you know, we won't know if he's going to work actually for good or evil, if that humanity in him is still going to win out. It's always a constant fight against evil. Which makes sense for him to say that, because again, the whole Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. That's, you know, where I get what you're saying about the whole, that earlier. That's the whole theme of the film, and I'm assuming the entirety of the Dark Universe. But at the same time, so, he, like, him and his buddy, who's now resurrected, but I'm sure he's, like, kind of, like, he's probably still, like, part, part alive, part, you know, part dead, you mm-hmm. know. Um, they just ride off to do more, you know, hunting of antiquities. Is that what you'd really do if you were immortal, uh... Basically, an Egyptian god. Be well, like, but he well can, let's go get some more. But money. no, he can have. But he can have like really. He can really enjoy it. He can now. have fun adventures he, because he's immortal now. They don't need to worry and that's about. Why, and that's what I'm saying. I think that's like where his buddy's probably still, you know, half dead. Yeah. So like he can, you he know, can also enjoy it, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, he may not have powers, but at least he's not, you know, going to have to worry about if he gets shot in the ass. He's, you know, <laughs> fucked or something. But no, I mean, like it just like so it ends like with this like, ooh, he's. When will Tom Cruise be back? We don't know. And, let's, you know, obviously, if they do somehow manage to salvage this franchise, when they get to, like, the Justice League-type movie, he's going to be back, and he's not going to be the villain. They're going to have some kind of different villain, but he's going to be the wild card. Yeah. What, like, will you know, he help out? Yeah, is he... Will he be on the bad side? Or is he, you know, just going to be an, you know, an agent sitting on the sidelines? I honestly and, don't see them... With Tom Cruise, I don't see them going for a bad side with him. It's, he's gonna be on the good side. When does or, he ever or, really play or, a villain? Or he'd be like an eight, you know, just like a, you know, middle yeah. agent. He's yeah. like, I'm gonna watch and you know, play play both sides type of thing. But at the same time, like, I have no interest in it because I have no interest in the idea of making fucking Doctor Jekyll be Nick Fury running Shield hunt for, instead for, of hu- for, instead yeah. of hunting down super mutants and. Interdimensional beings. It's you know, evil, ancient evils of yesteryear. Yeah. No, I agree. I don't think. Especially that... seeing as the only other agent that we get to know is Annabelle Wallace's character, Jenny. Which, by the way, every time Tom Cruise in this film is yelling Jenny, all I can think of is Tom Hanks and for Jenny, because <laughs> he's like Jenny. 
Yeah. Jenny! Uh, so, I, I mean, like, like, so it's like... Yeah, th- I think that's a problem, too, is that even in standalone films within the Marvel and DC, at least there's a little bit of connection there. A semblance of connection to something else. And in The Mummy, there's really no connection besides Russell Crowe's character to any sort of, like, other universe other character within the universe we do see a couple of like uh, scenes where um there are some throwbacks to other universal monsters like there's a vampire and like a vampire skull in a, in a glass jar um and i i don't know if that's supposed to signify like dracula's already happened and we're going to be getting a That'd origin be, story that for would that. be stupid though if they like you know like, if they went back in time to do a dracula like no that. if they just like all right he's like all right, he's already dead or something i mean i could see them doing like a yeah yeah i mean it would be stupid because then like why because again that's, that's like that's one of the big you know yeah big, classic big characters so yeah you so if you, you don't want to already have him be dead and, yeah so if you just have him as like uh just, like like as a throw vanquished already i mean granted dracula could always come back true but at the same or there time, could be like he could have passed it on, and you got a new Dracula or something like that. I could see, but but even still, I mean, I think I I still think that'd be yeah. I think the ideal, especially now with it being set in you know present day, I think it'd be cooler of you know having you know like Bram Stoker's Dracula, but then like explain like how has he been able to survive? Yeah, change with the times. Yeah, I think that there's not enough of that though. There's not enough. Even like Easter eggs and hints and, and hints to show like oh you know here's a whole universe really the mummy seems standalone it, it, besides the whole Russell Crowe Doctor Jekyll thing and the ending and the ending there's not much to say like well this is going to be a franchise it's except it's, that and that logo <laughs> yeah and the logo there's nothing there and I think that that's you you want to set that up. In this first film, you especially when it sucks this bad, you want to have something that sets up uh, something for the audience to look forward to, and there's just not anything. Like even they knew already going into this, Bride of Frankenstein will be the next film. There's nothing there for Bride of Frankenstein. There's nothing to indicate like what well, that's coming next. There's not even they didn't even take a Marvel cue and and do like a um, post credit scene. Nothing, and so. It just seems like these are standalone films and they kind of have a universe connected to them. And if that's the case, I'm really not interested. At least with a universe, you kind of have that, I don't know, the fun of picking out the Easter eggs and seeing how they all connect together. And, you know, having all the horror characters in in one universe is pretty cool. Yeah, no, part of the fun of, like, seeing Doctor Strange... Is you know you get to we got Doctor Strange's origin story and all that, and by the end you get the end credit scene that's linking it to the next, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like again, it's built. It's all building to you know something else. Infinity, you know, Infinity War. So yeah, and I just don't think that happens in the Mummy, and it's really pivotal that Bride of Frankenstein does something like that. Because then, what's the point if it doesn't? I know it's uh, totally it was, dead on arrival. Like, as I say, because then how is it going to connect to like Invisible Man? Which, by the way, is, they have Johnny Depp on board. To, like, to they do. It. Yeah, they have Johnny Depp. For so Invisible when the fuck's Man. that coming out? Because by the time that 21, comes out, tw- twenty twenty one. So he's going to be like seventy years old. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's okay because he's invisible, so <laughs> you don't need to see. <laughs> just gotta have Johnny Depp's voice like. <laughs> 
He's literally going to be Keith Richards. You know, yeah. that's probably why they keep doing no, those damn pirates movies. I, I don't mean, know. I mean, like I said, the whole release schedule is not. It it do, if you're going to mimic anything that Marvel and DC have been doing, you mimic the release schedule. But at the same time, but at the same time, you did have a good point. Like, there's not enough in the universal horror film canon for you to be pumping out three films a year. Because because then you're gonna bleed through it pretty damn quick. Comic books they have you know sixty seventy fucking years of continuity and several universes and whatnot to kind of pick and choose and comb over. But you have the Abbott and Costello films that you could do. (laughs) (laughs) No, and I think yeah, I think that's a part of it. Is that you just don't have enough. To get multiple years out of it, but if you're doing it for the right reasons, and the right reasons you being, yeah. it, right reasons being, you want a fucking good legacy franchise, that will, then you don't that care will, that you're say, that will move. make money off because it's a you yeah. Know, you people. don't care that you're going to blow through it in seven years with all the the franchises. You just make a good you just make a good series of films, and you're okay with it. If it makes a lot of money for seven years, awesome. And if it did really well, great. But now you're running the risk of not only did the mummy tank, you got two, you got like almost two years to wait for Bride of Frankenstein. So any excitement's going to die off. Bride of Frankenstein hits. If that doesn't do well, now you're out. You're done. So you've just wasted four years probably getting two films out that both tanked. And then probably even, well six years because then you know I'm sure you know two years of planning the mummy and true yeah. But I mean, and if you think about it, I, I I agree with like I would do like you know probably try to push this out as like quick as possible not in like a you know Roger Corman type you know, just, no no just but crank, I, not cranking but, but because I'm I'm starting to think because as we talked about before when we did um like Wonder Woman and uh, Doctor Strange like I don't know about others but I. I can almost see, like, sometime soon, fatigue is going to hit these things mm-hmm. really hard. I can't see, like, even though Marvel is still doing great, you know, eventually, I think people are just going to, because, again, it like, happens to all franchises. Even, like, when, like, things were going good, like, it happened with Bond several times, like, you know, franchise fatigue. We, I mean, any, any slasher, look at yeah. any slasher franchise, eventually it peters out. People stop caring about it. Not sometimes because the films just started getting progressively worse. Sometimes just because people stopped having interest well, in and it. Both, things change. Yeah, well, because again, like, do you really want to see every year like a new Halloween or a new? No, it's like right at like by the seventh and eighth, you know, you're gonna be like, all right. And I can totally see that you know happening pretty soon with like comic book films, especially because again, because once... again, again, as I said last time when we talked about Wonder Woman, the Marvel universe is over ten years old now. Yeah. There's not a lot of franchise. Hell, I think even if like with like the, the things that they're doing with Star Wars, I don't like the fact now that Disney's doing a, a film a year. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need. I didn't need to fucking see Rogue One. Rogue One was a waste of my time. It's mm-hmm. like, ooh, we have the dark gritty story that you know connects, you know, a little bit before a New Hope. And it's like after watching, it's like that was a waste of my fucking time. That was like just as bad as the prequels. Yeah, I think that you're gonna see a similar fatigue, especially when you get through. Most of the major characters. You know what I mean? Like, no one wants to see a really insignificant character comic. Like, that's not very popular on the big screen. Well, just think about it. Like, did, did Ant-Man, like, do... I mean, it did pretty well. But, I mean, did it do anywhere near, like... Enough to warrant a sequel. But, I it, like, I think that when we start talking about lesser characters, at a certain point, 
Ant-Man probably was, I think people enjoyed it because it was fun and Paul Rudd's in it. And who doesn't love Paul Rudd in a movie? Well, I mean, that's, I think that's a part of the saving grace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the same thing with Black Panther. I have nothing against Black Panther, but I can see, like, let's see how that does. Same thing with, um, with DC when the Aquaman movie comes out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Aquaman, not really one to just, you know, be, I want to see, I got to see Aquaman. It's just not something that you would think is like a popular draw. So it'll be interesting to see like when we get to secondary characters and characters that really just don't like have a lot of staying power, how much will, how like, will there be a tapering off of people caring about these sorts of franchises that just keep seem to be just going on and on and on. Cause I can't see them doing this for like another 15 years, mm. 10, you know? And I mean, I think that's what we're getting at with with the dark universe in in this film. I think they're coming in at the tail end of the popularity, or perhaps maybe even in the middle. In the middle, and I think that for one thing, if the dark the dark universe just doesn't seem very good, it's not it's not on par with Marvel, and it may be. I mean, DC hasn't had a great track record either, but at least Wonder Woman was. A, like a shining star in the rest of their drab and dreary lineage. So I think, but at the same time, I think that the dark universe is really in that same stage of like not starting out on the right foot right away. And that's a problem. And I think that they're going to have a really difficult time getting off the ground, especially two years later with brighter Frankenstein, especially when the mummy's going to be forgotten. Like, in two weeks. I mean, it's like already... And for those who are interested, they're going to be like, oh god, this is going to be, you know... Yeah. I mean, we'll definitely see it. Brian Frank is like, we'll be, we'll, we'll be there. I gotta see it. I gotta see what happens. But I don't think that there's going to be a huge popularity for that film. Um, Anything else you want to add about The Mummy before we get into, like, a rating? No. I can't think of anything else. I think we covered, like, everything, because we, we kind of hopped around and... It's just not a good movie. It's just just really not. It it has earned its Rotten Tomato score. That's for damn sure. Yeah, I know that there's there's definitely going to be some people who enjoy it just for the. It's kind of the same appeal as it's not Underworld a... and and Resident Evil of just like actionifying. Uh, Shit that doesn't need to be. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I mean, there are people that eat Resident Evil films up. Well, the, I no, know not that. one of them. Well, I know, I know, because there's like eight of them now. So. Yeah, and they're doing a reboot already. Was it with Mila? I'm not. I don't. I don't know. But I, I think like it's got the same appeal, so there will be people who kind of enjoy it. I wouldn't even say this film is so bad. It's got you know good. No, uh, it's no, not. it's not. It's just not even bad. So what would your rating be out of uh, ten? Camel spiders. What would your, what your rating be? I'm gonna give this a three out of ten. That low? You don't normally go that low. I don't know if you've ever scored anything at that low. It's a three out of ten. No elaboration. Just I. I, I think we've already. Done. I think I've ranted enough. Yeah. About how. I guess I would give it. I would give it a four and a half out of ten. I'm going a little high because I did enjoy some of the horror aspects of it. And I think that given a different direction, this could have been a better film than it is. Um, So I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt there. Um, But it doesn't really do very much right at all. 
as we listed, three positives and 70 negatives. So I think that that is really indicative of the Dark Universe as a whole. It doesn't really have a great direction around it. I'd it, If you were to ask me what direction it's taking, I have no idea. At least with DC and Marvel, you kind of have a sense of where they're going. You know, Who's DC's directing re- uh, Bride of Frankenstein? Um, directing Bride of Frankenstein is... Um, that's a good question. I I it's not on the tip of my tongue, but I I don't uh, don't I don't remember. Bill Condon, Bill Condon's directing it. Javier Bardem is going to be starring in it. There's not really much other. Um, well, that's a plus because Javier Bardem. Right, Javier, and and actually Bill Condon has done some pretty pretty good things. Um, he, first of all, he's knowledgeable about franchises. He did Twilight Saga. Um, not that I'm saying that those are great movies, but at least there's like that sense of. You know, he he knows how to work in a franchise. Um, the uh, He did Beauty and the Beast, which is the, the latest Disney live-action film. Actually pretty well-received. Dream, Ga- Dream Girls was a pretty well-received film. Um, he has some uh, reference points in horror. Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. Although, that's nothing to write home about. It's not, <laughs> it's not really a... It's not candy, man. Yeah, right. Exactly. Not really a promising, but but I think that that's that Bill Condon himself is promising, and Javier Javier Bardem signed on to it is pretty promising. You know, though I don't know how well you know he how how much he knows about the screenplay. You know, who knows? But I think that time will tell. And we'll have to wait till 2019 <laughs> to find out, which is kind of a long time to wait. So yeah, I, Mummy, I give a four and a half. Think and that may even be a little high. It may be being a little generous, but I'm a generous person. So, um, all right. So, what are we doing next week? Do we have anything planned for next week? Um, no, we don't. We don't have anything planned. Um. I, re- I really don't know. I don't have anything right now. Nothing is jumping out to me. Um, so we're, we'll take requests. Write to us. Um, we have an email address. It's bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you'd like to see uh, covered for the next episode. And you can also hit us up on Twitter. We're at bloodandblackrum. Um, so you can tweet us there as well. Let us know what you want to see or here relatively and uh we'll try to make it happen uh we're on itunes stitcher and pretty much any other podcast app that you might use i think i just added us to a new one today like at podcastdirectory.com or something like that so uh anywhere that you find podcasts we're on it and if you can please leave us a review and uh subscribe to us Uh, it always helps us out um we are also on facebook Facebook.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. Um, it doesn't get updated as much as I'd like to just because Facebook kind of sucks and I don't think we get great reach or anything with it. So, But you can like us on there. And uh, we have a Patreon page. It's Patreon.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I just added a new perk to it. So uh, for $10 a month, you do get a official Blood and Black Rum Podcast mug. Um it's uh, kind of cool. It's got our logo on it, and it's uh, got a red handle with a red fill on the inside. So it's pretty cool. I like it. 
It's I I, I want one for myself. Perfect for I, drinking your black rum. Hot. That's right, black rum coffee. Maybe coffee and black rum if you re- are really hating work or something while you're listening to us. It'd be perfect, perfect combo. So uh, check it out. Hopefully, you know you can help us out by pledging any sort of donation to us because it does. We put it right back into the podcast. We do hope to get a new another mic for Martin. So he maybe one that even like comes down so he can move it around and stuff like that. Jostle it come about. come down from the wall. Um, so we do hope to do that at some point. We also hope to do you know bonus episodes if uh, we get enough people on the Patreon that are interested in that. Uh, so check it out. Other than that, we'll be back next week with a new episode, like always. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Take care.